yet like that rose that's trampled on he thought of us above all he, he took that he took that fall and man that, that's just an awesome thought and uh, grateful well this is the love day but uh, we'll, we'll of course focus tonight on the joy of, of love I wanted to continue on in the series started last week today that of course comes back to God's love as I I thought about a theme that keeps coming back, it seems like to me, as I speak week after week. It's really two things, and you guys have heard this so much, but number one, we're all a mess. Just a mess. And number two, we all need a Savior. And when we come to grips with those two things, we find hope, we find forgiveness, find a new chance. And you say, man, I'm just a mess. I need somebody to step in for me. And we see that that's Jesus. That's why we're here. He's brought us together, Jesus Christ. He He's the one above all. And it's His love thinking of us above all. How can we stay away? We want to worship Him. Um, this morning, we're in Romans chapter 7. And I want to talk about the struggle. We hear of His love. Most of us know of his love, but sometimes we we get sidetracked and we wander away and there's a, a battle that happens and we're going to be looking through the chapter, but for our scripture reading, I want to look at uh, the last 10 verses, 15 through 25 of Romans 7. So I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor as I read from the text, uh, Romans seven fifteen through 25. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Let's pray. Lord, it's good to be together in your house today, Lord. Father, we worship you. You are the true audience, Lord. We're not here to impress one another. We're not here to see some kind of show. We're here to worship you. And I pray, Father, that we would just continue looking to you, Lord. And that you might be pleased as we give you the attention. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Speak to us. I pray, Father, for your anointing and for your touch and that your message might make it through, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Um. And when you think about people who you think have it together in their walk with God, uh, the Apostle Paul, many think of, I do too, as a spiritual hero. Man, what the guy went through. And as you look at him, I mean, he started out, he was, you know, the equivalent of a, you know, a Hitler to Christians. As his goal and his objective was to wipe out the church of Jesus Christ. But he had this meeting with God on the road to Damascus that blinded him, that brought him down to his knees and humbled him. And there was a miraculous change of heart. And he went on mission. And God did all these great things through His ministry. And, you know, we read about it through the New Testament and how God worked. But yet, even though God did all this great stuff through Paul, Paul struggled. Paul didn't see himself as super Christian, as a spiritual hero. He saw himself as as a struggling follower of Jesus. And and as we look at the text, those famous verses, you know, he says, I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And then you drop down to verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He, he admits his weakness. He confesses his struggle. And, and yet, it's not just Paul. If we're honest with our walk with Jesus Christ, all of us understand that. That there's a battle that rages within us that God wants to work in us. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, um, there's what we should do. We know that. There's um, where we are, which is saved by Jesus Christ covered in His grace, forgiven of our sins. Um, there's hope, there's security, there's rest, and then there's what we do that oftentimes conflicts with all of that. And God just wants to, He wants to rescue us. And that's what happened to Paul. He said, God rescued me. I love that verse 25. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus rescued Paul. Coming through grace, through all of the mess, the Savior showed up. And that's what He does. And, and, and I want to look um, today... At, at how he works in the struggle. Um, I want to share, you, maybe you've heard this. This is a letter from a, a Boy Scout. And he was riding home, and uh, it kind of speaks for itself as we think about our weakness. Dear Mom, our scoutmaster told us all to write our parents in case you saw the flood on TV and worried. We're okay. Only one of our tents and two sleeping bags got washed away. Luckily, none of us got drowned because we were all up on the mountain looking for Chad when it happened. Oh yes, please call Chad's mother and tell her he's okay. He can't write because of the cast. I got to ride in one of the search and rescue jeeps. It was neat. We never would have found him in the dark if it hadn't been for the lightning. Scoutmaster Webb got mad at Chad for going on a hike along without telling anyone. Chad said he did tell him, but it was during the fire, so he probably wouldn't hurt him. Uh, did you know that if you put gas on a fire, that gas can will blow up? Uh, the wet wood still didn't burn, but one of our tents did. Also, some, some of our clothes. John is going to look weird until his hair grows back. We'll be home on Saturday if Scoutmaster Webb gets the car fixed. It wasn't his fault about the rat, Rick. 
Uh, the brakes worked okay when we left. Scott Mr. Webb said that a car that old, you have to expect something to break down. That's probably why he can't get insurance on it. We think it's a neat car. He doesn't care if we get it dirty. And if it's hot, sometimes he lets us ride on the tailgate. It gets pretty hot with ten people in the car. He lets us take turns riding in the trailer until the highway patrolman stopped and talked to us. Scout Mr. Webb's a neat guy. Don't worry, he's a good driver. In fact, he's teaching Terry how to drive. But he only lets him drive on the mountain roads where there isn't any traffic. All we ever see up there are logging trucks. This morning, all of the guys were diving off the rocks and swimming out in the lake. Scout Mr. Webb wouldn't let me because I can't swim, and Chad was afraid he would sink because of his cast. So, so he let us take the canoe across the lake. It was great. <laughs> you can still see some of the trees under the water from the flood. Scout Mr. Webb isn't crabby like some scout masters. He didn't even get mad about the life jackets. He hasn't spent a lot of time working on the car, so we're trying not to cause him any trouble. Guess what? We've all passed our first aid merit badges. When Dave dove in the lake and cut his arm, we got to see how a tourniquet works. Also, Wade and I threw up. Scout Mr. Webb said it probably was just food poisoning from the leftover chicken. He said they got sick that way with the food they ate in prison. <laughs> um, I'm so glad he got out and became our Scout Master. He said he sure figured out how to get things done while he was doing his time. I have to go now. We're going into town to mail our letters and buy bullets. That's my favorite life. Don't worry about anything. We are fine. Love, Cole. P.S. How long has it been since I had a tetanus shot? Things go wrong. So it is with our walk with God. He has empowered us. He, 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 is, he died for us. His, the Holy Spirit lives within us. And yet there's a battle when things go wrong. And I want to look down through the text here at three truths that are identified as we go down through here, reminding us of this battle. Um, first, as the, as the passage starts, he uses an illustration from marriage. Let's look at that first six verses. He says, Do you know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over men only as long as he lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband's still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. As Paul writes here, he's not specifically talking about marriage. He's using marriage as an illustration of what happens in the life of the one who's been saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He says that there was a time where you were married to the old way, to the law. And you were controlled by that law. You were bound by the law. He said, but it was in death, the death of that first husband, that you were set free and you were able to remarry, that you were able to go into a new covenant, a new relationship. And the picture here is that 
of the law, which once we were bound by through the death of Christ, the power of the law is dead to us. And we are made alive to a new relationship, a new freedom that comes in God through Jesus Christ. And it's in that freedom that we are to live. You see, in in chapters 1 through 3 of Romans, it talks about being lost, being without God, being dead in sin. Then in chapters 4 and 5, it talks about being justified, being set free, being changed by the power of God in Jesus Christ, being as one who is not under the domination of sin. And then, of course, chapter 6, which we looked at last week, talked about the incredible freedom and the power that's available in Jesus Christ and how it's meant to be to live in Him. But then we come to chapter 7, and Paul comes back down and says, but there is this struggle, this struggle that I face. And as he goes down through the chapter here, and, and, and he describes it, I, I want us to, to look at these three things. The first thing here is um, this, uh, that the law reveals our condition. The law reveals our condition. Um, look with me in verse 7. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. You see, the law is not sin. The law reveals sin. The law shows us our true condition. I, I heard Tony Evans, a, a black preacher I love to listen to one time, he, he illustrated the law. He said the law is like a mirror. He said, you go to ba- into, you, know, you get in the bathroom in the morning. He says, you look in the mirror and you go, oh dear. You know, hairs flying everywhere, stuff between your teeth. You're looking in the mirror. Now, the mirror is not what makes you look so ugly. It's not the mirror. The mirror just shows you your true condition. He says, now you don't take the mirror off the wall and brush your teeth with it or brush your hair with it. You simply see your condition. It's up to you to work on it after that. You know, brush the teeth and the hair and get, get things together. The law is not sin. The law reveals our condition. As he says here, coveting. I was made aware of what coveting was through the law. God has given his law to reveal to us specific sins, to, to show us our true condition, to get a clear picture of where we truly are in him. And so point number one in that, the law defines specific sins. shows us specifically where we are. It's just like a game where, man, if there's no rules, it's chaos. I remember a couple of years ago, we used to be a part of a, a basketball league that played over at Virginia High Industrial League, and they decided not to hire referees. So uh, we dropped out of that. Matter of fact, most of the teams did. I mean, it's not enough to rely on guys to call their own fouls. You might get hurt. It might not be safe when they try to decide, were you really out of bounds? Is that really a foul? How tough should I play? Well, God has set those boundaries within His Word, within His law, to show us specifically um, what the law, that's what the law does. That's what it's about. Okay, secondly, the law arouses my interest. Look at the first part of verse 8. He says, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, I'll just read on, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Then down in verse 11, he says again, For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded me by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. Secondly, he said, there was an interest that is aroused. 
there, there's a part of us that says, ooh, that looks so good. It, that would feel so good. That's so attractive. Yeah, I want to I give that a try. Ooh, you know, that, that, ooh, that, that looks really good. And, and, and so an interest is, is, a, is aroused, and it comes forth. And, um, guys, it's a, I remember, uh, of course, you know, I'm a big college basketball fan, Jimmy Valvano, who was a coach at NC State, I heard this great tape. It was his uh, autobiography on tape. He was talking about coaching. He said, you get an in-game situation. He said, one thing he never says to the players is, whatever you do, do not foul. He said, because the truth of the matter is, what, when you say do not do it, that's exactly what you do. So he said, I don't want my players fouling somebody, so I don't ever say do not foul. You know, another instance of that is, don't you hate it when somebody says do not scratch? You know, then you got to itch, don't you? Uh, Friday night, we were here at the youth rally and uh, uh, had a great time, by the way. And they said, would anybody like to volunteer to sing? And I saw Cindy squirm a little bit. I said, what's wrong, honey? She said, my ear is itching, but if I scratch it, they may think I'm raising my hand. When you say don't scratch, you itch. You know, um, don't touch wet paint. What do you do? You want to touch it. One of my favorite ones, it, it was a... In a at a church on the grounds, I had a sign that said, "Do not walk on the grass." But then underneath, someone had written, "But trespassers will be forgiven." So you know, praise God. There, there's an interest that's aroused, and, and that's the temptation, part of the battle that goes on. Um, on the Gulf Coast, there's this beautiful, luxurious hotel. It's like eight stories high, and they had this issue. They had this problem. You, know, you could look out and you could see the gulf, the water. And uh, down in the dining room, um, the bay window kept getting cracked. And what, what would happen is, in each of the rooms there was this sign that um, said, uh, no fishing allowed. Absolutely no fishing from the balcony. You get that sign right. Absolutely no fishing from the balcony. So what would happen is, of course, people would bait the hooks and, they would throw it out there, and it would come back, and sinkers would hit that window, and ultimately it'd get cracked. So they had a meeting. They said, what are we going to do about this? Man, this thing keeps getting broken. This is expensive. So one smart guy said, why don't we take those signs out of the room? This says absolutely no fishing from the balcony. So they took the signs out of the rooms, and guess what? They didn't have any more problems with it. No more people casting over the balcony coming in and cracking. Why? Because, man, when you, when you say, don't do this, there's something within us that says do it. Now, um, is that the law's fault? There's nothing wrong with the law. It's me. It's, it's my sin problem. Um, I, I read about this uh, medical missionary that went deep into the bush, and, and uh, you know he took his equipment, and he showed the chief of the tribe why the tribe was getting sick. Their water was contaminated, and he had brought a microscope. And he took a sample of the water. He put it under the microscope. He saw the chief, you know, that particular germ that was making him sick. Well, the next morning, he got up, and he heard this terrible noise. The chief had taken the microscope and crushed it. He broke it. He said, microscope bad, you know. And it wasn't the microscope's fault. It was just revealing the problem. Destroying the microscope didn't fix it. Destroying the law doesn't fix our sin problem. It's not the law that's a problem. It's my heart that's the issue. That's the problem. So that brings us to our third point here. Um, the law exposes the cause of sin. Look at verse 13. 
Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Just like that microscope revealed the problem with the water, the contamination. Um, Just like an MRI, when someone is sick with cancer, may reveal a mass that needs to be removed, may reveal cancer. Um, Those tests are not evil, but they just reveal our true state. They reveal where we truly are and what really needs to be dealt with in our lives, our problem. Um, Jeremiah 17.9, Prophet Jeremiah, man, he expressed it so clear. (laughs) He said this, uh, The heart is deceitful above all, and who can understand it? That's where we are. The heart. We've got a heart issue. We've got a heart problem that, that needs to be dealt with, that, that needs to be looked at, this battle. And, and, you know, at verse 15, such classic scripture for us. Uh, actually, I'll start at verse 14. We know the law is spiritual. I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. There's that battle. I do not understand what I do. You guys know this. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. As we follow Christ, we know that. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself would do it. It's sin living in me. He goes on, verse 18, he says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That's my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. The evil I do not want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I do it. It's sin living in me that does it. There is this battle that ensues within us with an old nature, with an old covenant, an old relationship that's in conflict with a new relationship that we have gained through Jesus Christ and His work at the cross and the power of His Spirit that's living within us. And the honesty of it all is that there is a battle and we can't ignore that, but we have to turn to Him to gain strength through it to survive it. Um, It's pretty clear. I think most people, you don't really have to tell them they're sinners. I mean, I won't admit it. I want to read to you... uh, I got a kick out of this as I was thinking about it. These are some warning labels. I guess with all the lawsuits and everything else, you almost have to be stupid to uh, make the point clear. And so listen to some of these. I got a kick out of these guys. Matter of fact, there were five pages of these, and I thought, nah, that's too many. So I whittled it down to uh, what I thought were the best ones. Number one, warning. This is on a curling iron, by the way. Warning, this product can burn eyes. This one on a hairdryer. Do not use while sleeping. Issue, right? Uh, here's one on a handheld massaging device. Do not use while sleeping or unconscious. Could be a problem there, right? Uh, this one, on a this is on a container of underarm deodorant. Caution, do not spray in eyes. Um, this one's on a can of self-defense pepper spray. May irritate eyes. 
Uh, come on. Come on, guys. Uh, here's one on a novelty rock garden set called Popcorn Rock. Eating rocks may lead to broken teeth. You know? Obvious stuff here. Uh, here's one. <laughs> here's one on a butcher knife. Please keep out of children. <laughs> you know? Okay. Here's one on a laser pointer. Do not look into laser with remaining eye. <laughs> you know? Well, uh, this is in the manual for a microwave oven. Do not use for drying pets. You know? Wow. Um, on a packaging of a sharpening stone. Warning, knives are sharp. And, and here's one on a portable stroller. Caution. Remove infants before folding for storage. You know? Wow. Um, here's on packaging for a Rowenta iron. Do not iron clothes on body. You know? Um, on a string of Christmas lights. For indoor or outdoor use only. Is there another option? You know? Is there? Um, this is on a child-sized Superman costume. Wearing of this garment does not enable you to fly. On a shipment of hammers. May be harmful if swallowed. You think? You think? Um, in the manual for a Swedish chainsaw, do not attempt to stop the blade with your hand. On a package of peanuts, warning, may contain nuts. Okay, yeah. And last one, um, this is on the instructions for an electric thermometer. Do not use orally after rectally. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. Uh, warnings, obvious stuff. Sin is obvious stuff that the Holy Spirit wants to bring before us so that we may come to the next part after we see that lesson of I'm a mess, that I need a Savior. And that I need that Savior to work in my life and to bring me the grace that I need. You see, the law is a warning label. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings the understanding to us. How clear it is, how obvious it is we need a Savior. See, that's, that's the point. That's where we are. Um, this is a true story. Uh, on a flight from Seattle to San Francisco, there was a 50-minute layover in Sacramento. And so when the plane landed, they uh, shared uh, with the passengers... If you want to get off, stretch your legs, take a break. We'll resume in just a little under an hour. So most, you know, everybody exited the plane except this one lady who obviously was blind. Uh, she had her seeing eye dog right beside her on her dark glasses. And the pilot came up to her and uh, he knew her. He said, hi, Kathy. It's great to see you again. You know, we have a little bit under an hour. Can I help you? Would you like to get up? Maybe stretch your legs. Kathy said, well, no, but uh, Buddy, my seeing eye dog, he would probably enjoy that. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, you know, giving him a break, taking him off the plane. He goes, sure. So picture this, guys. He, he is on sunglasses, dark sunglasses, and he is a seeing eye dog, and he comes off of the plane as he walks by the gate, the passengers were not only trying to get off that plane, they were trying to get a different airline altogether. 
We too are blind without Jesus. He gives new sight. He gives new sight for us to see and, and to follow Him. Uh, some final thoughts here as I, as I close up here. Uh, first thought, we cannot curb our own disobedience. It, you know, Self-help manuals aren't enough. Our problem is bigger than what we can fix. We need supernatural help. We need the living God to work in us. That's what we need. Second uh, thing here, I just have three of these. Um, we do not fulfill our own wishes. Yeah, he said, what I don't want to do is what I do, what I don't, you know. I get it backwards. We just can't do it. You know, it's Sin just seems to sometimes just choke us, encompass us. And uh, As I thought about this, I, I thought about the example of uh, dust. You know? You, you, you ever tried to dust your house? And, and I mean, you can really work hard. I mean, you can take stuff outside and you know try to beat the dust out, and you know take rag, rags, dusters, whatever, and try to get the dust off. And I mean, you can work all day. It seems like, and then at the end of the day, you know, when the sun starts going down and the light fades, and you look up and you see what Shh, dust. It's like, man, that stuff must be omnipresent. It's everywhere. No matter what I do to get rid of it. And so it is with sin. It just is there unless God steps in. Unless God steps in and works. Um, and that's what he was talking about in verse 21. He says, so I find this law at work when I want to do good, evil's right there with me. And last point here. Um, we cannot ignore our struggle. It's there. The only way to to live in victory is through Jesus, through walking by His Spirit, through saying yes to Him and by following Him, trusting Him. That that's where the victory lies. And he, he goes into Romans chapter eight as I close, and just uh, just the first two verses I'll mention. I I get into it. We could go on, you know, just keep going and say, preacher, please stop. You know, here for a while. But I love the way it starts. Romans 8, 1, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? I mean, just think about what we've been talking about the whole time here. I'm a mess. I need a Savior. And then he comes to verse 8, and he says, But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't say, You are naughty. Naughty, naughty, naughty. He says, I don't condemn you because of Jesus. And he goes on verse 2, he says, why? Because um, he says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And I guess as I come to the close of this message, guys, that's where I am. I guess the first thing here is there is no freedom and there is no victory apart from a real relationship with Jesus Christ not apart from a connection to a church, not apart from a connection to being a good citizen or a nice person, but coming in God's one way through Jesus Christ. Saying, okay, God, I'm a mess. Save me. And we always come to that. This time we call invitation. And, and I want to invite you because... Um,
If you miss that, guys, you miss it all. Turn to Jesus. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Enter my heart. I don't want to be just bound by that old relationship with the law. I want to know that new relationship called grace through Jesus Christ. Rescue me. (laughs) And then, um, maybe God says, I want you to live in, in victory. I want you to to know that you're not condemned. I want you to walk in that love. And I know there's a struggle, but, but I'm there for you. And, and, and maybe you just God just speaking to your heart and there's something heavy you want to come, you want to pray about, share with a body here. Um, we just want God to work because uh, He's the one that gives the victory. And there's a struggle, but we have a Savior who's victor. No condemnation. He set us free. The law of the Spirit of life from the law of sin and death. Let's pray. Lord, uh, it's been good to look at your word, to be reminded that it does not stop with our condition, but there is forgiveness. And uh, Father, this morning, I believe you've spoken to some hearts, Lord. Um, so what do you want of us? I don't know the answer to that. Holy Spirit, only you know that. And I just simply ask that in each heart there would be a willingness to say yes to you. And uh, as we stand, as we sing, as we come to pray or come to acknowledge you, may it be of you, Lord. That's what we ask. In your name we pray. Amen.